Um, we have been in a series of messages we call At the Movies, um, where we look at the big questions that are being asked by some of the most popular movies of the year. And um, today is a movie that some of you may not have seen. In fact, many of you may not have seen. It's a movie that as we began to talk through this year and what movies we might include, of course, we thought about the blockbuster movies like we talked about the last two weeks with um, Toy Story 4 and Avengers Endgame. But we also wanted uh, to think about something that might not be quite down the middle of the big mainstream blockbuster movies. And this is a mainstream movie, and it made a lot of money, but it's not quite as recognizable. And we're talking today about a movie called Instant Family. And Instant Family is a movie about a couple who adopts three kids. Now, they walk through the foster system, and it really is a picture of what that looks like for them and how they navigated it. And as we talked through that, as we thought through it, there was another kind of moment that happened around that time. Um, we, uh, Jeff was leading a men's Bible study on Wednesday nights, and um, in the midst of that, David Zacola talked a little bit about just the tragedy that happens with at-risk kids and things that are happening in foster care and things that for kids that are waiting for adoption. And so we thought there would be a great moment uh, today as we talk through this idea of adoption, of foster care, of our responsibility as believers to be a part of that, that we would invite the Zacolas up to tell us a little bit of their story and for you to hear from them. So would you join me in welcoming David and Kathy and Jackson Zacola to the stage? Right. So uh, some of you know this, many of you know the Zacolas, some of you do not, but um, we're going to talk in a moment about their adoption story, about how uh, God led them and how God used them and Jackson became part of their family. But before we do that, I just kind of want them to talk about what kind of got them um, into that space of seeing the at-risk kids, of foster kids, of what it was. So, David, maybe you can share a little bit about like your work history, Kathy's work history, and how that um, intersected with uh, foster care system. Most of y'all know that I've been a police officer here in Metro Nashville 32 years. I'm retired from that. Now I work in the DA's office. I've been there 10 years, but uh, for the last 11 years with the police department and currently with the DA's office, I've worked uh, cases that involve crimes against children, physical abuse, sex abuse, and things like that. Kathy had 10 years with the DA's office where she worked with victims and families and things along those lines. So we've been exposed to quite a bit of stuff most people don't even like to think about, especially with the child end of things, the cases, the type cases we worked there. Uh, We would come home, you always talk about work, but it seemed like on a more regular basis we would be sharing stories about some of the families we've worked with and some of the kids, and we'd catch ourselves saying we wished we could uh, bring some of those kids home or, or do something for them. And it, it got to the point where I think we said it so many times, it got to the point where, well, let's quit talking about it and let's let's start doing something about it. So we, after being exposed to our professional lives, uh, we just started thinking there's got to be more that we could do than just talk about some of the situations these kids and families were in. So that's pretty much what got us started, being exposed to, I guess, that side of life and, and being knee-deep in those cases. So we started talking about, uh, like I said, what we could do other than just talk about it. And we started thinking about foster care, how bad the situation is there. I think there's... 8,000 kids in Tennessee in foster care, and 
just in terrible situations. There's some good foster homes, but some of these kids are in foster care just waiting to be adopted and just waiting for a family to accept them and, and do for them like we've done for our own kids. So I guess our work lives is really what got us started down that path. So when you think about the foster care system, you mentioned 8,000, is that what you said? 8,000? 8, in Tennessee, yes. In Tennessee, 8,000 in Tennessee. Um, what what are your like biggest concerns with that system or with those kids, those are at-risk kids, the kids that are waiting? Like what's what, what's the biggest concerns or, or things that you think through when you when that weighs heavy on you? I guess the biggest concern is when kids are taken out of out of uh, homes for crimes that have been committed against them or situations they absolutely have no control over. These kids have to go somewhere, and usually families absorb a lot of this. But there are still places that uh, these kids have to go, and there's just such a shortage of, of good foster homes. There's a shortage of, of of places to take these kids. Literally. Case after case we work, they'll take three or four kids out of a home sometimes at once. And a DCS case manager has to stay with these kids until they can place them. Be asking a lot to take in four kids at once, but there's just really a shortage of families that uh, have volunteered or offered their homes to take these kids on, whether it's a long-term basis or a temporary basis. A lot of people never even give that any thought, but there's just such a shortage of people willing to get involved in that whole system that it, it creates quite a hardship on the people that do it and, and the kids themselves. They've really just got no place to go sometimes. So, Kathy, let me ask you, as you and David are both working environments, you're seeing this, you're talking about it at home sometimes. So what was it that triggered you or, or kind of moved you to say, okay, this is something not that we're, that we're not going to talk about anymore, that this is something we're going to do, right? Okay. Um, I was fortunate enough to be on the personnel committee when Brother Lau came to the church, and we had a dinner, and he spoke about he and Susan um, praying prior to being approached by um, our uh, pastor's search committee, praying to be open to whatever God wanted them to do. And I remember driving home that night and and just crying and praying to help me have that same kind of heart. I was just so moved by their story. And um, one week later, we were having dinner with Johnny and Kathy Decker. And my cell phone rang, and it was our youngest daughter, Allison, and she said, um, she was at work, and she said, Mom, can I bring home two boys that one of them worked for her? And she said, can I bring home two boys tonight? Their mom and dad have left them here. They've gone to Memphis for a drug deal. And in complete obedience, like Brother Lyle was talking about, I said, you've got to talk to your dad. <laughs> and... We wound up that night, um, these two kids coming into our home. They had a laundry basket. They both had a laundry basket that contained everything they owned. They, we found out later, they at times had slept in their car. That's all they had. Um, and the long story short of that is 
Um, a lot of y'all remember Willie that lived with us for about a year. Um, we eventually tried to adopt him and take him away from his mom uh, who was on drugs, and that was a horrible story in itself. But the state finally gave them back to his mom, and um, we were heartbroken. And um, I talked with Lau about that a couple of times. But um, that led to us finding out that that's what we knew we needed to do. And so we started the process of going through the DCS classes and um, kind of that got the ball rolling. So you talked about that Willie is in your life. He's with you for a year. Right, ten months. Ten months, mm-hmm. um, and then you, lo- Willie, is given back to his mom. Yeah. And I and I remember you talked about we had several conversations. I remember Wednesday night prayer meetings, getting ready to leave and having conversations. And mm-hmm. and and I know that y'all struggled in that moment of, is this something we're supposed to do? We mm-hmm. we can't go through this again. Yes. Right. We can't go through the giving him back. Right. And so, how did um, what was it that transpired that led you to say, but we've got to go try this? That eventually led you to Jack being part of your family. We so enjoyed Willie being in our home, and we knew that that was something that even after we had to give him up, we knew that we were supposed to do this. David, for years, had said, we should do foster care, and I said, no, I can't do that. I'll adopt, but we never did anything. And then after the Willie situation we knew then we, we were supposed to do something. Yeah. And um, so that's when we, we just started. We looked into it, and um, we started the process. Now which... talk a little bit about, um, before we, we don't want to give Jack too much spotlight, right? <laughs> <laughs> before we talk about Jack, t- talk a little bit about just your situation at that time, because I know there were health concerns going on with you. I, I, I know I, that yep. y'all, y'all were, um, you're, you're not, older but you were no, we were older <laughs> you were you, yes. kids were out of the house yep. right y'all, two, would, y'all kind of moved children. into mm-hmm. thinking about retirement plans and those kind of things so I, I had health issues I have polio and I had been told for a couple of years you need to go ahead and um, quit work and I loved my job so much I didn't want to stop working and I was pushing myself and he was telling me I needed to stop and I just kept on, and at the same time, we're looking, trying to find a child. We're it's two years now. We're going through this process, and right. we haven't found it. nothing's worked out. We've gone to Chattanooga, and we've looked at different things, and nothing's worked out. But finally, I get to I I'm done. I can't work any longer, and um, I retire in March. And before the end of April, we get a phone call about a eight-year-old boy in Cookville, and um, we go down there, and we get Jack. And so it's, it's almost like, again, the obedience thing. God was telling me, it's time to stop. Yeah. And once I put my foot in the water, yeah. it all worked out. David, talk a little bit about how fostering, how Jack coming into the home has has changed you, has changed your family. Um, I know we don't have three or four hours, but how is it, like, what are some things that um, 
have been blessings in the midst of, of all of that. I'm a lot more tired now than I used to be. <laughs> Jack is nonstop. We went from no kids to getting Jack, who is sports-minded. So every day I get home from work, Jack's in the front yard. It's either going to be baseball, football, or something. Uh, trampoline, I mean, he is literally nonstop. But he never had the opportunity to play sports. I mean, he'd never even been to a baseball game before we got him. So... He's, he's on the Mount Julia baseball team. But uh, we just really can't even think of life before Jack. It's, it's like it was meant to be in what it's been, eight years now. I mean, seven years going on eight. <laughs> but uh, I can remember going down the interstate when we first saw Jack. It was a weekend visit. That's how you do it. You get to keep him for a weekend and bring him back and keep doing it and just kind of testing the waters but we're riding down the interstate coming back toward uh, Goodlettsville me and Kathy looking at each other kind of what in the world are we doing we got a complete stranger (laughs) in the back seat of the car we know nothing about and he may be the very one we end up adopting but I mean this certainly isn't for everybody uh, and we don't want to paint the picture that it's just been a piece of cake but uh We've had our moments just like we have our moments with our own kids. But Jack's been a blessing. I mean, it's, it's just been, uh, it's been fun to watch him grow. I don't think Jack would be in church right now had he not ended up with us because he really didn't have a church life before. But, uh, I mean, it has in some respects kept us younger and kept our priorities straight. It, it was a time in our lives where it was going to be about us. But... That hasn't happened yet because it's still about Jack and and the grandkids. But, uh, I mean, we're going to sitting in the bleachers. We're doing stuff that people 20 years younger than we're doing. And, you know, adopted used to kind of be not a bad word, but we've had parents on teams. I had a dad on the coach last year come up to me and go. uh, He pulled me to the side and he was whispering and said, uh, Hey, I just found out that Jack, is Jack adopted? And I go, yeah, he, he's adopted. What? What are you getting at? But it's almost like he didn't want anybody else to hear that. But, I mean, uh, we're proud of Jack, and, and, and Jack's lucky to be in our lives, and we're even luckier and more blessed that, that we've got him. Uh, Kathy, talk a little bit about during this process. What are some or what's something or some ways or that the church was helpful to you um, in the midst of this? So. Even with Willie, we had um, family members and um, even parents that told us, y'all can't do this. Because even as we started forward wanting to adopt Willie, we had parents even saying, y'all can't do this. Um, But through the whole thing, even getting Jack, church members, our church family was so supportive and um, we had people saying, we're praying for y'all, and um, that's what's gotten us through this. And um, I, don't, I don't think we could have gone through the whole process without our church family and our daughter telling us, yes, this is what you're supposed to do. So um, their excitement and the church excitement for us has meant the world to us through this. So you said seven years ago, Jack, what was the date? 
February 1st. I remember, of course, I remember you coming into the church, and we were excited because we have a son that's about your age, and y'all hang out sometimes a little bit. Uh, um, so Eli and Gray and all them were excited to have you here as part of the church. And um, remember uh, yeah, <laughs> that uh, that all in like a week, right, was baptism, the adoption day, baptism, and you changed your name as like a new start. You're going forward. And so it's been a, an awesome thing to have you around. Um, what uh, Two questions for the end. What, what advice would you give to somebody that's sitting out there now and thinking maybe I could do this, maybe this is something that I need to do or I should do? And then the second thing is how can all of us pray? How can we pray for kids in the situation, for the foster, whatever that may be? Well, if you're even considering it, I mean, first thing you got to do is really pray about it. I mean, we prayed and we talked and talked and talked and we went through the classes and the whole procedure and it's, it's just not something you need to jump into lightly, obviously. This is really something that's it's extreme and, and not a whole lot of people even consider doing that. So prayer is a big part of it. I don't know. It just depends on your family situation. There's a lot of kids out there that require a lot more stuff than than we have to do for Jack. I mean, they're in terrible shape. There's just so many of them out there. But, I mean, there's so many things you can do. Uh, there's foster care if you don't want to adopt. There's respite care where you take kids in for a weekend to give their foster parents time to recoup. I mean, if you just give it some thought, there's there's plenty of things you can do to get involved uh, with, with these kids. and. And even kids that aren't in foster care that are in bad situations you hear about in Sunday school that, that need so much help, whether it's financial or, or prayer or whatever you can do for them. We just got a society that doesn't take care of our kids like we used to. What was your second question? How can we pray? Well, if you can't do anything else, I mean, it sounds like you're not doing anything, but, you know, we... We deal with kids that, that have gone through the worst thing that can happen other than losing a child to death or, or kidnapping. I think the worst thing as a parent that could happen to your kid would be to either be physically harmed or sexually assaulted. And, and that's what we look at on a daily basis. So, you know, when, when you've got your prayer list there and you're thinking about all the things you need to pray, pray for, think about these kids that... Uh, really are in a bad spot, and don't get a chance, don't have anybody really looking out for them. You know, it's sad to think how many kids just age out of foster care. They'll, they'll get in at whatever age, and 18, they're on their own, and they've never really had the support and anybody really looking after them. So, you know, prayer would be just if everybody started praying for the kids that we rarely even think about, that would be a big help. All right. Let's pray, okay? Heavenly Father, I am so thankful for the Zacolas. I'm so thankful for them being part of my life, for the privilege that I have to call them friends, the uh, privilege I have to be their pastor. Lord, I'm thankful that we, uh, for their example, Lord, for their example of doing what you've called them to do, to being open to doing whatever you've called them to do. We're thankful for that. Lord, we do pray that you would watch over these kids that are in terrible situations, situations we don't even want to think about or imagine, Lord, but it's reality for them. And Lord, we pray for workers to go into that field, for, for people, believers, Christians, to run to those situations, to be able to help, to be able to be that bridge, to be able to be that, um, that family that so many kids need. 
And we pray, Lord, that we do it not because we feel guilty, but because we have been adopted and saved by you. And that as we have been rescued, Lord, that we go in your name to rescue. Lord, I thank you again for the Zacolas. I pray for them. I pray for David and Kathy. Lord, I thank you for their friendship. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless them and give them wisdom and discernment as they make decisions moving forward. Lord, I thank you for Jack. Lord, I thank you for the joy it has been for me to get to know him, to coach him, to to be able to work with him side by side um, on a mission trip this summer. Lord, I'm thankful for the potential that he has to serve you and to follow you and the way that you are using and will use him for your future glory. Lord, I pray for him that you would protect him and that you would give him strength as he endures this race set before us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And would you show your appreciation to the Zacolas for sharing with us today? Uh, the movie Instant Family came out uh, a little over a year ago, or around a year ago, and it tells what is a um, story based on reality. And so it is a story written by a man who actually went through adoption with his family. They adopted three kids at once. Uh, they had not had any kids of their own. They just kind of stepped into this. And the movie is what attempts to be a real look at what that could be like, what that might be like. It's funny. Um, there are obviously funny movie moments. You saw that in the trailer. There are more in the movie. It's also frank and real and honest. In fact, let me just give you a little bit of warning. If you saw that trailer and thought, hey, we'll gather the family and we'll get all uh, four of us around and my six-year-old and my nine-year-old, it is PG-13 for a reason, all right? And so there's some frank language, there's some frank discussions about adult matters, because when you bring kids into your home that have experienced things that are tragic and difficult and hard, sometimes those things come out. And so just, I wanted to give it, because I don't want to get a call to, we sat down to watch it tonight, and y'all know those calls, all right? And so, um, and so it is a, it is a really interesting look. I, I have a picture, by the way, of the original family. And so this is the writer of the movie and his family with his three kids that were part of this adoption process. And a few months ago, when we began to think about at the movies for this year, and we began to place it and to think about it, we knew that in the past we had done, um, big blockbusters. We've done kind of the big movies of the year. And like I said, this movie made money, but it's not one of the big blockbusters of the year. But Jeff actually mentioned it, said, I've got some friends that have watched it, said it's good. Um, and I, I sat down a few weeks ago. We kind of thought about it. We talked about it. We knew that um, Jeff had that instance in his Bible study with David and David Zacola and the, what happened there and the kind of sharing from his heart. And we thought this is something that the Bible speaks a lot about that just honestly we haven't done enough on. James chapter 1, verse 27 says this. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. To visit the fatherless and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Pure, undefiled religion. Before God the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now let me just say of something about one of the words in there. That word, visit the fatherless. The word visit the fatherless is give attention to or look after. 
It was used in the Old Testament multiple times to describe how God took care of His people. That God looked after the Israelites. God took care of the Israelites. And so this isn't just, there's somebody over there, I'm going to go see them for a couple of minutes. This is care. This is concern. This is taking care of. There are 53 million orphans in the world. Now, just give you a technical definition because that's a technical number. That describes any child in the world who has had at least one parent die. And so we might not consider that orphans because they've got one parent still alive. There are somewhere around 18 million children in the world who have had both parents die. You heard the Zicola say there are somewhere around 8,000 kids in Tennessee in foster care. Most of those kids don't qualify as orphans because many of them have parents. They just have parents that are unable to take care of them. There are half a million foster kids in America. When I think about James 127, the first thing that comes to come in mind and says, what is James talking about here? Why is he saying this here and now? I mean, it's such a strong statement. Pure religion before God and pure religion before the Father is this. In other words, if you're not doing this, that's why if James puts it, if you're not doing this, then you don't have pure religion. You have corrupted religion. In fact, in chapter 2, James, and we walked through James at the beginning of this year, is say that if you don't do this, if you don't actively care for the followers and the widow, then your faith isn't real. So what's he talking about? Is he What is he asking us to do here well first of all realize and this is very important for us to realize realize this that he is not trying to develop some sort of checklist artificial legalistic checklist that says do you have any direct involvement with orphans and widows if so you're good if so you're not a real christian lots of people who are involved in orphan care do so for wrong motives lots of people who love god aren't directly involved in orphan care the gospel never gives you checklists it never will give you checklists that's because we have been saved not by what we do but by what has been done for us rather what james is saying here is that if you're someone who has experienced the transformation of the gospel you naturally gravitate towards loving those who are in need whoever they are. And if you don't do that, if you are not leveraging your life and your talent and your resources to bless others with the gospel, others that are in need, you might not, for all your religion and for all your Bible verses and for all your sanitized behavior and for your name on a church roll, you might not be saved. No religion is genuine. No matter how many verses you can quote, no how intensely you worship, if it doesn't lead you to sacrifice and love those in need. And what James says in another way is this. You cannot say you're a disciple of Christ if you turn a deaf ear to those in need. In our country, we have a lot of people that think they're Christians because they prayed a prayer at one time. And there are lots of religions that pray. Praying doesn't make you a disciple of Christ. Following Jesus does. And Jesus poured out his life for others. So the real question James is asking, and some of you think you need to consider, all of us need to consider is, you say you're a Christian, but are you leveraging your life to take the gospel and real practical need to those in need? You're in school. What's your primary goal in school? 
Are you all of this to develop your talents for personal gain, for personal achievement, to be able to get where you want to go, to be able to make the money you want to make, to buy the house that you want to buy? Or is your primary goal leveraging your life for the advancement of God's kingdom? As you're in your career and you're moving older in your career, what are you doing with the ways God has increased you? Are you using it for career success just to get nicer and nicer stuff? Or are you using it for increased capacity to impact the nations, to serve more for the glory of God? What is the focus of your life? If your trajectory towards greater service or nicer and newer stuff? Are you chasing the American dream or the gospel plan? Here's the thing. Caring for the fatherless, caring for the widow is not a marriage badge for some hyper-motivated super-Christians, but the mark of any and every true disciple is that we care for those in need. It's not optional. Scripture makes this clear, and it tells us that the reason for that is, first of all, because we have received the love of God the Father. Now, if you've got your your Bibles and you open with me to James 1, I want you to turn towards the back to 1 John. 1 John was written by, anybody want to guess who 1 John was written by? John, that's good. Some of you are on the ball, all right? John wrote it. John, who was a beloved disciple, one of the closest friends of Jesus, who literally stood at the foot of the cross while Jesus was being crucified, to whom Jesus looked down and said to John, this is now your mother, and to his mother he said, this is now your son. Take care of each other. John says in his book that we have received the love of God the Father, and that should motivate everything else we do. In fact, 1 John 3, 1 says this, See what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children, and we are. Now here's the thing that's kind of interesting about this. I just told you John's credentials. He walked with Jesus for three and a half years. He was there at the crucifixion. He saw him after the resurrection. He was there. He ran with the, to the tomb. He was there. He saw him when Thomas put his hands in his palms. He was there when Jesus ascended to the throne. He was reinstated by Jesus before that. He had seen the church grow. He had seen the church develop. He had seen all of this happen. And he says, it's still, and I'm going to show you how in just a minute, he still, it's still amazing me that God calls us his family. See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. And then it's almost like he stops for a minute. It's almost like he pauses for a second. It's almost like he has had one of those wow moments or I can't believe it moments or can you hear what I just said moments. And he says, and we are. We are God's children. We have been saved by God. He was the only one that could save us. He was the only one that could redeem us. And he did. Not only did he save us from our sins, although that is of vital importance, he adopted us into his family. Look, at we, we talked about this verse last week, but it fits so well this week. Ephesians chapter 1 says, For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, to be holy and blameless in love before Him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace that He lavished on us in the Beloved One. 
If you talk to anybody that's been through an adoption process, that's been through a foster care process, they'll tell you that there are multiple steps along the way. Whether it's an international adoption that eventually ends in another country, sometimes before a judge, where they have to say a script of things correctly in order for the child to be released to them. Or that's in a foster care system getting uh, certified and allowed to keep children in your home. Whether that is um, having... um, an adoption go all the way through and have it work its way through the court system and home visits and surveys and interviews with kids and trial periods and all of that. There is a process that goes through it. And at any step of the process, a family is able to kind of say, mm, this is not for us. What's amazing to me about God is that he didn't have a month-long process in his plan to save us. It tells us in Ephesians that before the beginning of time, he planned to do it. And at every step of the path that he went down to save you and me, he could have stopped and said, he was in his just mind, he was in his righteousness to say, I'm not going any further. But Scripture says that he went all the way to the point where his son died for us. And every step of the way, he looked at us and thought, I want them as part of my family, so I'm going forward. The gospel, the beauty of the gospel is that we are more wicked and more defiled than we ever probably imagined. And God loved us anyway. You are more wicked and more defiled than you ever dreamed or imagined. And you are at the same time, because of what Christ has done to redeem you, more loved and more accepted by God than you ever dared to hope. And this means something very, very important as we think about ministering to others, as we think about adoption, as we think about foster care. We are not powerful, wealthy, middle-class saviors. We are not the saviors. We are the saved. In the homeless, the orphan, the prisoner, the abandoned mother, the dropout, I don't see someone I need to rescue. I see myself because I was the orphan. I was the prisoner. I was abandoned. I was the dropout. And the same Jesus who loved me and sought me when I was a stranger and saved me can save them. I am not their savior. I am their brother or sister, their equal. We are not the answer for the adoption problem or the foster care problem or the at-risk kids problem or the homeless problem or the prisoner problem. We are not the answer. The cross is. The gospel is. But because we have received that grace, we now should reflect the love of God the Father. Having experienced the redemption of Christ, you cannot help but love others like you have been loved and try to do for them what has been done for you. Where would you be personally without Christ? Where would you be had He not come to redeem you? Where would we be if Christ had not saved us? Think about my family, for instance. I come from a a list, a long list of people that were saved by Jesus and it positively impacted their life. Where would I be without that in my life? And when I come to understand that, that's why James says pure religion before God and the Father is to visit the fatherless and the widow. Because when you've experienced the gospel in your heart that goes after the fatherless and the widow, when you understand that you are that, that God came and he saved you, you want to go as well. Saying in 1 John chapter 3 verse 11 
and 16 says, For this is the message we have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also, this by the way is 1 John 3.16. Many people know and love John 3.16. This is 1 John 3.16. This is how we know, have come to know love. He laid down his life for us and we should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. 1 John 3.17 and 18 says this. If anyone has those world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him... How does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. And then 1 John 4, 11 and 19 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. We love because he first loved us. We are to be the people that run to those in need. I read a story this week. Um, about a husband and wife that were going through the adoption process, and they were actually going through the adoption process to adopt a baby as it was born. Some of you know about that process where you work with the mother, you work with the family, and when the baby's born, you take the baby at the hospital, and the baby goes home with you. And as they went through the process, they came to find out towards the end of the process, he said, we just want you to know that this child is going to be born with significant disabilities. The actual diagnosis was spinal bifida. If you're not familiar with spinal bifida, it is a, a, a condition where the spine grows outside the skin. or it's, it, is, um, it is a very difficult, long process. I said, the child will never have a normal life. And he said, so the adoption agency said, we want you to go home tonight. We want you to sleep on it. And we need your answer in the next couple of days. The couple was obviously greatly troubled. They didn't know what to do. They went to bed. The next morning, the woman woke up and told her husband that she'd had a dream. And she said in her dream, she was observing a stadium full of thousands of people. And they were bringing out children one by one, beautiful children. And they would say, who wants this one? And the people would volunteer to come forward and take the child. She said, then they brought a child that was ugly, deformed, and scarred. Looked like it would never have hope of a good life at all. And the question was asked in the stadium, who wants this one? And she said in her dream, the whole crowd grew very silent. No one wanted the child. And she said, then standing up from the front row, Jesus walked forward and says, I want this one. I'll take her. And the woman said, in my dream, I was taken closer to that child. And I saw that deformed child, that child that no one seemed to want was me. She said to her husband, I knew instantly that this is the question being asked of us here. Who wants this one? And she said to her husband, Jesus does, and I want this one too. And they took the baby and they raised it and they loved it. So for however long it was on this earth, it could sense the love and compassion of their heavenly Father. Now listen, this isn't easy. and It's easy to go down tear-jerking stories with this kind of thing. Whether adoption or caring for foster kids or any kind of real ministry is in your life, it is tough. One of the things I do like about the movie Instant Family, and I mentioned that there are, there are, there are lots of words that are inappropriate for a setting like this. And lots of, I mean, actually in the trailer, I give credit to Jeff Ball, there were three or four questionable things in the trailer that Jeff cut out. You didn't even know that he cut them out, but there are questionable things in the trailer. I mean, because it's real life and it's hard. And there are moments when they say to themselves, we can't do this. We're not good enough for this. This cannot happen. 
But as believers, we can't let something being difficult be the reason we don't do it. I don't know if you know this, but the church really built its reputation early through unbelievable acts of courage for those in biggest need. For instance, there was this thing in the early church called baby runs. See, in the Roman Empire, they didn't have abortion like is unfortunately available today. And so what would happen is if a mother had a child she did not want, what she would do is she would literally leave the child on the doorstep, close the door, and then just leave it there to die overnight. And in the morning, the people that came through their streets to help pick up stuff would just pick up the babies and put it in the trash with everything else. And the early church began to say that is unacceptable. And so at 2 a.m., members of the early church would go out into the streets and find the babies on the doorsteps and run them back to their secret places and take care of the kids and raise them. We have records where critics of the church said things like this, how they love each other. Famous letter of Emperor Julian who was lamenting the explosive growth of the church. And he says, how do we stop these Galileans? They called them Galileans because they followed Jesus, the Galilean. They take care not of their only of their own poor, but they take care of ours as well. In a book called The Apologies of Aristides, and I know y'all have been reading that, but I'll give you the quote anyways. Roman Emperor Hadrian was explaining why the church was groaning so fast. And he says, what can I say about these Christians? They love one another. The widow's needs are not ignored, and they rescue the orphan from the person who does him violence. Pure religion before God the Father is this, to look after the fatherless and the widows in their affliction, to show marvelous love because they've been marvelously loved. Russell Moore, who is a leading advocate of adoption in the and the church, he's also someone has adopted, says, Think of how revolutionary it is for Christian to adopt a young boy with a cleft palate from a region of India where most people see him as defective. Think about how odd it must seem to American seculars to see Christians adopting a baby whose body trembles with an addiction to her cocaine if her mother sent through her bloodstream before her birth. Think of the kind of credibility such action leads to in the proclamation of our gospel. What if we as Christians were known once again as the people who take in orphans and make them beloved sons and daughters of ours? So I want to be real clear today. In a room this size with families from our church, single in our church, older couples whose kids may have moved out, Young couples who may be wondering what God's called for them. Maybe this could be you. James 1.27 Maybe you never thought it could be. But what if it is? What if you determined while you were here on earth that every second of it be used to love those in need? Couples that are nearing retirement age, what is retirement really for here on this earth? Now, before we pray about it, before we think about it, I want, I want to tell you two disclaimers, then I'm going to give you some information, and then we're going to pray. First of all, let me just say this. This is not a hobby. 
This is not a feel-good response to being guilty about an emotional topic. This is a ministry and a calling. One of the things that I admire about David and Kathy Zakola, they talked about talking with me, and they gave me way too much credit about the whole thing because that was already being developed in their heart. And when they would ask me a question, oftentimes I would just say, "What is? I know you're praying about it. What is God telling you to do? And Kathy would say, but does that make us crazy? And I say, no. Every step of the way, they asked for God to confirm the calling on their lives, that they weren't just doing this as some kind of project. And a lot of people romanticize the ideas of adoption. It's become somewhat of a glamour thing for some celebrities, uh, Madonna and Angelina Jolie. And if this is about a photo op for you or a more interesting Christmas card, that will wear out quickly. It's a calling. And it's not for everyone. And I don't want to let any of you off the hook if that's what God is working in you. But I want to take about any artificial angst that may be there to say that everyone has to take a kid into their home. And, and let me say the obvious things that, you know, personally I haven't adopted or done foster care. And what's interesting in my life, two of the things I am most passionate about is international missions taking the gospel to the nations. And I am passionate about seeing the Uh, orphan and the widow taking care of the orphan particularly being put into a good home and for whatever reason god has not called me to do that yet but my prayer is that if he does we'll be open it's not for everyone but can i say it is for some of you and i have prayed this week that god would burden people in our church to be part of the response to taking care of orphans in our community, in our state, and in our world. Over the next few days, what we're going to do on our social media, and if you're not following us, I want to invite you to follow. We have a Facebook page. It's got First Baptist Goodlettsville. Um, we have uh, Instagram, FBC Goodlettsville. Just, just, I encourage you to follow us there. Um, you go to our website, fbcgoodlettsville.com, and it'll have those where you can follow it. And this week, we're going to put up on our social media two or three organizations that if God is really speaking to your heart, and I want to get, you know, we thought, started about having them here today and thought about all that, but I don't want this to be an emotional response. I go out and I grab a brochure. I want you to think about it. I want you to pray about it. And we're going to put up some resources for you if this is something you think God may be calling you to do. David and Kathy Zagola have told me numerous times, we will be glad to talk to anybody that's thinking about it. And that's the question of the table. On the table today, what is your role in something like orphan care, foster care, the least of these? Let's pray together.